Listener Production. Hi, I'm Dilrup Jai Singer. My health and wellness journey began when I lost over 30 kilos. Since then, I've learned how focusing on being healthy both physically and mentally can turn your life around and put you in the driver's seat. And it isn't all eating kale and doing 100 burpees either, although we probably will talk about that. I'm lucky enough to be joined by experts as well as a bunch of idiot comedy mates of mine to talk everything from weight loss to waking up refreshed. Um, without the meditation music and wind chimes, please. Fitting your social life in with other people's free time can be a struggle as an adult. I'm sure we all have a friend that we have been trying to catch up with for months or people who we know we need to make more time for. It can be tough. We all need people who we can chat to, who we can rely on, and trust will be there for us if we need them. In this episode, we'll talk about those relationships and how to keep them strong. My first guest knows better than most how difficult it can be when you're separated from your loved ones for long amounts of time. He's a dad of three kids and an intermodal driver. Andrew Hastings joins me now. Andrew, this is very exciting for me to get to chat to you. I have so many questions to talk about your career as a truck driver. So starting with, how long have you been driving trucks for? Oh, gee, I started fairly young, about 19 years old. Uh, I'm 43 now. Yeah, right. And so do you remember even what was it initially back then as a teenager that made you want to get into it? Uh, Ironically enough, I left school in year 11 and I worked for a barrister's clerk. And uh, they put me in location on doing some work experience at a transport company. I didn't take too much merit into it at the time, but but it was actually a friend of mine rang me one time and said, oh, did you want to come out with me in the truck for a day? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? Just like a ride along? Yeah, just like a ride along. And uh, funnily enough, I enjoyed it that much. I enjoyed the freedom. I enjoyed the experience out on the road. I went into work the next morning, quit my job, and two weeks later had my heavy license. That's incredible. The next day you went to work, you knew that this I was your calling. Yeah, I just I just found a naturality to it, yeah. Were you surprised by how tough it was? Because obviously a ride along with your mate one day is very different to the actual experience of being a you know professional truck driver for 25 it's years. Very, very vastly different. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you reckon were some of the, the surprisingly tougher elements of it? And how have you managed to get through it over these years? It can be a very responsive industry. And what I found is that some days were very early to finish and some days were very, very late. To to try to balance that, I tried changing different jobs that would suit me a little bit more. So when I very, very first started, I was moving bagged flour for bakeries. And they're between 25 and 30 kilo heavy bags, which Mm. you actually physically carry into the bakery. It's very energy draining and then from me moving on from there I didn't want to do that side of heavy work I actually went into an abattoir and I was moving meat carcasses around in refrigerated environments to different butcheries I thoroughly enjoyed doing that because I'd seen it I was being paid to work out I mean yeah who needs to do deadlifts when you're lifting dead animals yeah exactly right yeah I've gone along with different industries because at that time I've needed to change to suit my home life it's so nice to hear anyone talk about loving the work that they do. Even in my life where I am a stand-up comedian, it's a dream job of mine. There's so many challenges that come along with it. As a truck driver, I can imagine there's a big part of it is being away from your loved ones for longer periods than the average person would be, right? Definitely. Living away uh, 
when you do the interstate component of the industry is very, very tough. You're out in remote places, sometimes with and sometimes without signal for your phone. You're on your own. One thing that is a problem in the line haul component is that you're in your own head all night. So you sit there and you think and you disassemble conversations and reassemble it. And it can be quite an emotional journey sometimes. When I started doing the interstate component of the transport industry, I then had a three-year-old and a newborn. And I was away sort of every second to third night, sometimes a week at a time. Just recently, I've gone up to Catherine, which is in Northern Territory. And I did two stints at two weeks up there. My my children are quite older now. What are Um, the ages now? So my, my son is 11, my daughter is eight, and I have a two-year-old daughter as well. Oh, wow. And, and so mm. this was, uh, you were saying initially, when you first started doing it, to stay with a three-year-old and a newborn. That's right. One child is hard enough, a three-year-old is tough enough after the terrible twos and all that. And this Correct. is coming from someone who doesn't have a kid. I would just see it with my niece who's three years old. I'm like, oh, I love you, but yeah. you are a handful. Um, <laughs> and then on top of that, you've thrown in a, a, a newborn and uh, dad has to go away. I guess that would have been a very testing time and a shock to the system, in t- even in terms of the relationship as well, huh? Uh, yeah, look, the success rate for a lot of marriages when people do interstate isn't greatly that high. From people that I know in the industry, there's a lot of people that do end up getting divorced or they have problems with their relationships. Initially, I, I was married. My separation from my wife was not a result of my job. But the support of your family is one of the major things that helps that bond between work and home life sort of mesh. My partner that I have now, she's amazing, absolutely amazing, supportive, and and she's always, you know, if this is going to help us or if this is going to help our career, go, you know, your career, go for it. You know, do what you need to do to get where you want to be. But I've always maintained that I'm going to work to help provide for the home, to help provide for the family. Your family support is everything, everything. I grew up with a dad who worked overseas myself. Dad was always away. It was obviously quite tough. For me, it was never a reality I knew any different of, like obviously because from the time yep. I was born that he was away and um, you know I'd see him every three months for a couple of weeks or so or something like that. There are obviously things like FaceTime and making sure you stay connected with your family while you're away that I think people understand and know the benefits of. I feel like there's not enough conversation around what can be done better when you're actually back home with your family. So from personal experience, I look back at the times when my old man would come back and and I think there was a challenge for him in terms of balancing wanting to spend time with the kids. But at the same time, he's also a dude who's away from his mates. What do you reckon you do well when you are back in town? Do you have a sense of how you can actually connect with your kids once you're face-to-face after being away? I, I always make time to talk to them. I'm very big on communication in my house. The COVID pandemic was very, very challenging for a lot of people. But now that that freedom's back, you know, we go to car shows or we might go to a market. So engagement with them is, is always something that is, is on my mind to do. But also to, you know, I, I want to spend time with my partner because she's doing a lot of the grunt work while I'm not there. Even though now, I'm, as I said, I'm back on the local component. And I'm around town, I'm, I'm home far more than I was with interstate. What do you do for time to yourself? Like I know when you're driving trucks, it feels like you already have enough time to yourself. 
But I also wonder whether there is any important emphasis on needing to do things just for yourself, not just with your partner, not with your kids, but just when Andrew is back at home, this is Andrew's thing that he just wants to do on his own. Is there anything like that in your life? Yeah, look, there is. I, I get on the Xbox every now and then. I'll be frothing Call of Duty, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get that as a as a T-shirt print of going, I'm frothing over Call of Duty right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm all up in Call of Call of Duty. Um, but I'm also a musician. I've, I've been playing music since I was a kid, but I've been also a DJ for 20, 27 years now. So I've got my own little setup at home and, you know, I play to a crowd of one. <laughs> oh, really? Do you have a DJ? Yeah. Have you ever DJed for a party or a wedding? Oh, heaps. Heaps, yeah, right. <laughs> right, right, right. My, my downtime is I'm either having a jam on the Xbox or I'm, I'm mucking around with something to do with my music. It's just my time to float into the mental abyss, you know, mm. and just release. You seem to really but, understand yourself and how you can navigate balancing your partner, you, your kids, uh, and even the job really well. Do you have anything that you could potentially pass on to other truck drivers or even let's say Andrew from 24 years ago when he was just starting out? What are the yep. things that you're doing really well right now that you didn't do at the start? So a young mechanic friend of mine came to me a few years ago quite stressed and he said, you know, I can't handle work. I can't handle this. I can't do that. And I said, go past Kmart and get yourself a bath mat. Get a bright red one. And I said, put that at your front door. I said, when you come home, take your work boots off and sit them on that doormat. Don't take them inside. Don't let them walk through the house. And at the time, he didn't understand where I was going with it. What I was trying to say to him was, don't take your work home. Mm. Leave it at the front door. Don't bring the mud through the, the walkway of the house because you, then you're mixing your work and your home life in a different way. And I've encouraged that to a lot of people, and it does help. I don't take home the problems from my work and, and bring it into my home life. Like, my work problems will stop when I walk through the front door because then it's my family's time. So I try not to marry the two that way. I have, like, my own self-identifier. Like, I take my boots off, I sit near my front door because that's where my work stops. Because when I walk through my front door, it's all about my family. Andrew, I can't tell you how aggressively I love that. Like I, I just, I have goosebumps on my hand going, that is such a simple yet brilliant ritual to have as a physical acknowledgement of going works over. I can now switch into the different identity. It, it, it's almost yep. like Clark Kent walking into the telephone booth and coming back out as Superman, just going, all right, I'm shifting my identity now. That, that's sort of where it came from. It actually started from when I very first started in the abattoirs because you go to work in your civilian clothes and then you go into a locker room and you put on a uniform which covers you completely and you leave your civilian clothes in work and then obviously when the day finishes, you go back, you de-robe, put your normal clothes on after a shower and go home. And that's what it sort of became to me like that. And I started working for a company, my name is not very good to me as an employer, and I resorted back to that boots idea. What uh, that is an absolute gem of a suggestion. Anything else that you want to leave us with in in, in terms of takeaway points that have worked well for you? Yeah, I, uh, I'll say it once. And I've said this to a lot of people in my life: is that kindness, manners, and respect cost nothing, and you can give as much as it as you want for free. And it just 
changing that mentality can make someone's day so much better as opposed to it being worse. Absolutely perfect. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. I know that you're literally safely parked on the side of the road to share those thoughts with us. Thanks for your time, guys. As a comedian, I find myself on the road a lot. And that can be tough when you're trying to stay close with the people who matter to you the most. My next guest, though, just might have some answers on how you can keep connected with those that are a bit too far away from you right now. This man knows technology inside out. Trevor Long, most people will have an awareness how technology and the mobile phone has given us the chance to stay connected. What are some of the other ways technology has made us more connected? But also counterintuitively, have you noticed elements of how technology has caused more disconnection in humans as well? You know, I reckon it's a really interesting conversation because we, we always think about the amazing things that technology has facilitated, but we don't often think about how it's some might put us backwards. We focus too much on the phone and we miss that face-to-face opportunity. So imagine you had the friendship lamp, okay? Now, the okay. friendship lamp is a bedside lamp, or you can put it anywhere, bedside lamp, imagine. You have one, she has one. And it can be a group thing. You can have a bunch of other friends. It can be true friendships or it can be relationship, right? And it is internet connected. So it's an internet connected lamp that when you touch it, it changes color. And the other person's lamp on the other side of the country, state, city or world also changes color. The meaningful thing about it is to say, you know, to let them know that you're there. You're thinking of them. You know, let's get romantic about it. That's a nice thing. It's nice to know that someone's thinking about you. It does nothing else other than change color when someone touches it. It doesn't, you know, send messages or anything like that, but that's what it does. Well, I was going to say, Trevor, surely a text message saying, hey, I'm thinking about you, (laughs) is probably feeling a little bit more I'll take you on that, right? Text message (laughs) is wonderful, but it's very static, you know. It's very also, Mm. uh, it doesn't have the the emotion to it because, you know, your mate can text you, as can your girlfriend, right? So how about this one? There's one called the Love Box Messenger, right? Think of it like a... (laughs) I don't want to say jack-in-the-box, but it's a little wooden box, (laughs) right? On the front of the wooden box is a love heart. The box is closed. You send a text message via an app. You send it to your your partner. When they walk into the room and they see the love box, the heart is spinning on the front. They walk up. Your partner walks up. She opens the box. And in there is a digital screen with a text message on it customized text ah. messages that you sent via an app. Again, let's get super romantic. That's nice. That's more, that I can get on board with. I like the idea of that because because a lot of the text messages, so while I've just come back from about two and a half weeks of touring in regional towns, so, you know, obviously we are staying connected via text messages, but having that extra special message to be saved for the love box, we've got to find a different name than Mark. <laughs> my, bra- my brain keeps going to other places. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, the love box has that message ready for her, which I would put more romantic thought into because now all of a sudden, I know this is not just a normal text message saying, hey, don't forget, uh, I'm expecting a delivery. Right. Make sure you pick it up. Uh, although that could be fun for the love <laughs> Can box. Can you check, well. out, check out of the floor, Matt? I think there was, a, there was an envelope yeah. delivered for me. Thank you. Very romantic. You can quarantine your romantic messages to the love box. I like this. So then the other one that I've seen a lot, it's wristbands or there's also a necklace coming that either will send your heartbeat to the other person 
I don't really okay. want to know how my wife's heart is beating when I'm not with her. Frankly, I'm just happy it's beating when she's with me, okay? so Yeah, as, as someone who had a heart attack a few months ago, I think maybe that might have more other benefits. I'll just give it to my GP. <laughs> just give my GP. Here you go, mate. Just need a little bit of extra care. <laughs> I, I don't mind this, but it does remind me of something else that I've come across in my lifetime, which is, have you heard of Nora? Yes. Okay, so maybe we'll talk about Nora for a little bit here. And, um, you know, bear in mind, we're trying to stay as PG-friendly as possible, but let's get a little spicy. First of all, what is your experience or knowledge of Nora? Uh, look, I'm not going to talk about any experiences, but Nora is, um, <laughs> is in the category of adult communication. And essentially, there, there are two types. There are some that are controlled by another person somewhere else. So mm-hmm. you can essentially be using each other's equipment on the other side of the world. Uh, and yep. there are others that you can just sem- simply send uh, pulses through to. So you can be at the yep. other side of the world and saying, uh, I'm thinking of you, and she can be doing more than thinking of you, I guess is the yeah. best way of cleaning it up for you. Just stay a bit mature about it, though. Like, I, I think it is quite an interesting technology because it is something, especially during the pandemic, the friend who told me about it, her partner, she was in Melbourne, her partner was in New York. So they just genuinely didn't know when they can be intimate again. So here's a... Not a bad solution. Uh, when I tried it with someone that I was dating, I it didn't quite work. I think I was just controlling her garage gate or something like that in the process of just. <laughs> and you I just, think the Bluetooth just find the right button. That sometimes it happens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there are the technology is still new, and but but I like where it's headed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for something that a lot of people have and don't realize it's actually a communication tool, the Apple Watch. Yes. The Apple Watch has, you know, it's a pretty amazing bit of kit on its own as a smartwatch. But built into the Apple Watch is a walkie-talkie. Do you remember having Mm. walkie-talkies as kids where you'd be with your mates at the park and you'd say to yourself, oh, I'll take one home, and you realize they don't work if you go all the way home. But the walkie-talkie function on the Apple Watch allows you to add contacts who also have an Apple Watch, and you simply Mm. tap the screen, and you can go, g'day, you there? And it will actually talk at the other end. Like Knight Rider. Exactly. Like, you know, like, Kit, come get me. But it's actually mm. just my wife, come, come and pick me up. I've been oh, on, oh, on the Uber. I <laughs> just have one with an Uber driver. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I mention these kind of things is because I think there's a lot of, sometimes your relationship gets stale. And it gets stale because we send the same message. You know, because you're living mm. remotely or you're on the road working, you send a message, hey, babe, I'm at the hotel. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Good night. So if it's the same thing every night, it becomes stale. Mm. So using different parts of the technology, like the walkie-talkie in the Apple Watch, might actually be just a different option one day mm. out of seven. And I think that kind of thing is, is good to just choose something different, whether or not it's sending a video message instead of a text message versus sending a walkie-talkie message versus the same text message every night. It's a cool way of communicating, which is what I love. What else is out there then, I suppose, in terms of what are the more, maybe not so practical, but fun, interesting bits of technology that's out there? Here's another one uh, that's also Apple-based, but there, there are ways of doing this on d- different platforms. Apple have a thing called SharePlay now. You can actually load up a show on, say, your laptop and load up SharePlay on your phone so that you're on a FaceTime call and you're watching the exact same show in sync. I think it has huge strengths in a long-distance relationship, FIFO-style relationship, working away relationship, those things where you can connect again, you know, keep watching your favorite show together so that when you get home from that one week away, mm. your partner hasn't actually binged ahead and you've actually kept watching it together. That's cool. This is all very exciting, Trevor. 
like I can't believe that a chair play already exists and I didn't know about it. So I'm very keen to hear what else you've got in your toolkit. So let me give you a couple of quick ones. I believe my relationship with my wife is so much stronger because we use Life360. It's actually an app that a lot of families use for tracking their kids, but we use it as a family. And I'm saying, do it as a couple, do it as a, as a, a group, if you like, but Knowing where someone is, again, gives peace of mind. And think about people that are on the road. You're on an eight-hour road trip mm. and your partner, they're worried about you, as, as anyone would be. Life360, you open up and you can see that they're, they're still on the road. They're at their destination. I think that's a cool thing. While it won't be for everyone because a lot of people do freak out about you know location tracking, I actually mm. think it's, it's a sign of a strong relationship and it's a great way of dismissing all those, yep, I've arrived texts. And that makes the text messaging and the FaceTime calls much more meaningful because you're getting rid of the boring, I've arrived or I've left part of the conversation. And the other one is really simple, connected photo frame. Now, these things are made for the elderly. So you've got a, a parent with dementia, you can put it in their room and you can actually, anyone in their family can send photos to the photo frame. But it could be for anyone. So you have a connected photo frame at home. And whether you're away or your partner's away, you actually use it as a place where you share those great photos. So share a photo of that, that place you're at, that thing you saw, whatever it is, and, and it appears at home without them doing anything. It just appears on the photo frame for them to see and for to be a conversation starter next time you do pick up the phone and have a chat. Those last two are definitely something I think I'm going to action. And the frame one, it could work as something that I take on tour with me while I'm away. I can just put it by the bedside table, a sense of home. But also because my partner moved away from her family in WA, I could probably get that as a gift for her to keep at home so that her yes. family can update her with photos of the nephews and nieces. Trevor, thanks so much for genuinely such a insightful chat around actual things that people can do and make changes in their life to feel more connected with their loved ones. We, I really appreciate it. If people want to find more information about the work you do, where would you direct them towards? My website is called EFTM, EFTM.com, mate. Our next guest knows relationships so well that it's literally her job. Elizabeth Shaw is the CEO of Relationships Australia. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks. Now, for our listeners who might not be aware of the work you do, how would you describe it? Well, Relationships Australia is a national organisation. What we're most known for is our focus on relationships being the heart of, of everything we do and we are. We run a surprisingly, usually people find it surprising, the array of services from helping people build strengthening relationships and uh, healthy relationships and also helping people navigate the tough times, the conflict, separation, trauma, mental health issues, parenting. So almost any issue that you might have in relationships at home or at work or in your community, we probably have something to offer. Relationships are so diverse in what falls under the umbrella of relationships. So would you consider what you do closer to being science or an art? It's definitely both. There's plenty of science around now that says that the state of your relationships has a huge impact on your mental and, in fact, your physical health, which might surprise people. So it is absolutely essential for our well-being, and that people who are lonely, it's equivalent to smoking nine cigarettes a day, you know, in terms of health effects. I think there's a lot of science behind why it is critical to be around healthy, strong relationships. But the art is how we actually do it in practice. Can you unpack something you just said there about the loneliness is the equivalent of nine cigarettes a day? How does that come about? What, what do you mean by that? Well, in terms of being lonely, it can really sort of affect your self-esteem, your self-efficacy, 
your motivation in living your life, your desire to be a better person and engage in life more fully. So in terms of physical health, you actually can really be eroded and wound down as a version of yourself when you feel lonely and disconnected. So the the mental and physical effects have been demonstrated to be at that level of equivalency where obviously something like smoking is is an active harm to your body and loneliness at its worst can have that effect. So mm. a lot of people are really happy with their own company. So we have to just remember that being alone is not is not the same as being lonely. That some mm-hmm. people really don't have a big need for a lot of others. There are people who for example work night shifts, so maybe you're a, a cleaner at night or you're a long-distance truck driver, where you might be out for hours and hours alone. And in fact, it's a skill set and it's essential that you can actually manage alone quite comfortably in order to tolerate those sorts of circumstances. But then the re-entry into relationships sometimes can be a little jarring and, and needs a bit of extra work just to sort of make that seamless. Yes, there might be people more suited and seem to be, pardon the pun, trucking along fine. But what are also some of the things that people can start to notice along the way before it gets to that damaging area? Look, I think it's a slippery slope and it, and it does creep up on us. So you can go for maybe a period of weeks and say, oh, well, everyone's busy or I've been busy or I haven't felt like reaching out, but I will one day, I will soon. And then before you know it, it's become the life you lead. So I think we've got to catch ourselves out with, are we putting off staying in touch with people that are important to us. So one thing to ask yourself is when you do a bit of a mini audit of of who you think is important to you and who you quite like to know is in your life, how hard are you working at those relationships and have you touched base with them in the way that you know you should to keep the relationship going? Um, And if you say to yourself, oh, well, they haven't rung me either, to say to yourself, you know, I can't afford to let that thinking take over because if I hand the responsibility away, then I could miss out altogether. So I think it's owning your own needs to stay in touch and making sure that you're doing your 50%. I think if you also spend time alone and then when you've got something on, you start to talk yourself out of going. You think, well, actually once I would have quite enjoyed this. Again, rather than just let that slide into a non-arrival, say to yourself, what has happened to me that I'm not taking this chance? You know, am I feeling a bit more socially awkward? Do I feel, have I lost a bit of confidence? Have I got too withdrawn for my own good? And when you're spending time alone, to feel legitimate and entitled to stop for a minute and maybe ring a friend or send a text or whatever it might be, or listen to a podcast just to stay in touch with the world and get some input around the value of ideas and thoughts and others, you know, rather than feel like, well, maybe I better just lock myself into silence. I think it's just remembering that voices and people, even just quite brief interactions, can be quite energising. I know that me personally, if I'm feeling down, it's just, it seems so selfish, but I find doing something in service of someone else gives me this automatic boost of energy because it's like my brain can't discern between their happiness and my happiness. And I tell this to friends and they like they laugh because it seems like like I'm admitting that it's a selfish act because I'm doing it because it makes me feel better. But my argument is there's no one losing. So why not? It's like this vending machine of joy for me. If I just, you know, give someone $5 and I immediately start feeling a bit better, where's the harm in that? Well, that's, that's a win-win, isn't it? Um, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had one of those moments where one day I had that silent trip in the lift, you know, that you do with some stranger, you don't look at each other. Mm. 
And and as as he got out of the lift, he just turned to me and said, "Have a nice day." Mm. And you know, it I, it really struck me what a lovely moment that was. He didn't know me; we hadn't spoken; we hadn't looked at each other. And I walked out of the lift with a a little something. I sort of carried that forward and thought, "Why did that feel so nice for someone to just?" randomly say a good thing. Mm. And I decided as I walk up the street with my dog that I would say good morning or good evening to everyone I passed who was also walking their dog instead of us all pretending we didn't exist. And it is amazing where people look startled that you've spoken but feel compelled to say something back. I think those moments can be quite powerful to not let ourselves or others get away with being strangers in communities where we need each other more than ever. Feeling invisible is a terrible state of of deprivation where you start to feel like you don't matter to anybody and that you could actually die in your own home and uh, no one would be any the wiser or would care. When you start to go into that state of mind, it's incredibly sad. Mm. And our research on loneliness that we did at Relationships Australia, we we did find that curiously, you know, you, you just assume it's older people that are going to feel lonely, but it's single parents, particularly single men. And it's young people who, again, could look very connected on social media, in groups, going to parties, but can feel very alone and, in fact, highly at risk because they just feel disconnected even when surrounded by others. So people are not a measure of how you feel inside necessarily either. It's whether your relationships are working for you and, in fact, whether you feel like you matter to somebody. It's those sorts of experiences that are really very touching and heartfelt. Technology has shifted the way we interact with each other over the last, say, 10, 15 years in a very drastic way compared to the thousands of years before that. What has been the role or the advantages that technology has brought us in terms of this concept of relationships and loneliness? And at the same time, what have you noticed as being potentially a cause of more loneliness and disconnection because of technology? There's so many great advantages with it because people who might be in a community and feel very different and alone can find their community online. So to your point earlier about finding your tribe, that has been enormously enriching for people. Nobody really has to feel aberrant, odd, separate. You, you can always find somebody who's like you enough to, to normalise your experience and to feel less alone. So that's a huge advantage. And even if you don't have 3D people in your life that you might hang out with on the weekend, to be able to do something online with them or to stay in touch or to feel like there's a steady flow of communication, that's hugely helpful for people who, say, are newly separated, might have kids at home and can't get out, can't get a babysitter, don't have the money, or, you know, for whatever reason, they've moved to a new town. So there's times in your life where you really are quite bereft and that online connection and staying in touch through a variety of means, is is a great thing. The downside is where people overuse it, where you feel that you can replace relationships with an online presence. So I, I think it's where we actually forget that sometimes actually a phone call to someone to say something directly or can we meet up because I want to talk to you is sometimes essential if you think you can do everything by text. I've had clients come in and say, let me read you this stream of, of texts where a whole communication has happened and it's gone badly awry because people just can't steer an effective communication 
in that way when the emotion's high and the stakes are high. I think especially in terms of tone and and context sometimes yep. there's such nuance yep. with body language and 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 face to face that it, it's weird when uh, when things like text you can you know you read it in a completely different voice than what is intended. In terms of though building relationships when you're younger you're more likely to find a tribe quicker but now as a 37 38 year old the idea of starting again seems like such a challenging feeling to create new friends. Is that something you've come across where the older you are, it's harder to make friends? And what have those people found beneficial in putting themselves out there? Look, it's certainly true because if you're in the same town and doing similar sort of work, you can look around and feel like everyone seems to have their friendship group, that some of those friends go back for years, they went to school together, or they've worked together for years. And and to break in, it really feels like everyone around me seems sorted and I don't know quite what to do. And in a funny way, it can be easier if you've landed in a new environment because you let yourself entirely off the leash that, well, I I don't know anyone and no one knows me, so I've got to actively start over. And it does often mean joining lots of groups or turning up at things you ordinarily wouldn't just to get a chance to say hello. So people often go to much greater efforts when they are thrown in the deep end than if you're just say, if you're in your own town, it can actually feel quite a lot harder to build from there. But it may mean getting out of your comfort zone. It may be just joining some new groups or... What kind of groups? Well, look, I think a lot of people, again, to the advantage of social media, are using things like Meetup to to say, well, look, I want to do bushwalking. I don't have any friends that want to do that. I need to find people to do that with. And there are ways now where you can say, you know, who's interested in Thai food? in my local area and you can find people Mm. online to meet up with. It's about being brave enough to do that without thinking, oh gosh, I look lonely and desperate. And just to remember that everyone who's doing that is in the same boat. Mm. They're wanting to step out of their social circle, meet a new group of people, push the boundaries a bit of where they are. And a lot of those are no longer about dating. You know, I think a lot of people have felt like that's about people getting together in a new version of sex. You know, they say it's the Thai food, but in fact, it's, you know, it's something else. Um, but in fact, genuinely, these are... When I say Thai, I don't mean, t- I mean T-H-A-I, <laughs> not T-I-E, with handcuffs and, and yes. ropes. Okay. On the flip side, I think it's worth having a conversation to you around breaking up with friends. There are friends that effectively you have outgrown, not in an arrogant way, but in terms of your values. But we hang on to certain elements of our past because we think, well, I've known this person for 20 years. I can't just, you know, not hang out with them. Do you, first of all, believe that 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 is an important thing to recognize? Yeah, look, it is. And it actually can cause people a great deal of pain and heartache. It's no small thing to break up with anybody who's had significance in your life. I mean, even for some people, leaving a long-term workplace can feel like a massive wrench, but certainly a friend who you've spent, you know, many years in the same orbit, they may know you in some ways like nobody else does. They've shared a slice of your history. It can be really irresistible to hold on to them in some form. We don't always know our friends in a lot of detail because we we fall into safe conversations, familiar conversations. And so when you unearth things a bit or people have moved on, you suddenly realise the alignment's not as great. But I think we have to consider carefully, are we forgiving enough that our friends, you know, might have changed and can we still enjoy them, but in a different way, Mm. rather than say, well, I I now don't like the look of them at all, they're out. Possibly it is, look, you were my bestie at school, but I now realise you're probably in the outer group of acquaintances. If we had a drink once a year, 
that's probably about where we're up, up to, or maybe you're a Facebook friend now, and that can be okay. Those sort of drifts can be all right. It doesn't have to be a head-to-head thing. It's much harder when you may have seen them every week and you need to make a sharp departure in the relationship. But throughout the course of a lifespan, friends can come and go in terms of their significance to you and your degree of commonality. And to allow that to be fluid without judgment and without thinking harshly about yourself or the relationship, letting it drift a bit, come and go, is also perhaps another more relaxed way of considering the people that are important to you. Elizabeth, one of my favorite things about these chats is getting to know some of the best bang for buck techniques in terms of this concept of maintaining good relationships. Look, one of the things that I think is really critical is to own our own stuff in relationships that I think too often when we're upset or we're worried, we keep going over the other person, what they did, what they said. It's incredible. They said this, they said that. And next time I see them, I'm going to say this or that. And we we keep it outside of ourselves. And what we don't do enough of is to say, why is this affecting me? Why am I wound up? What was my part in this? What did I bring to the downfall of that moment? And to be accountable around that. I don't mean a fall on your sword moment and suddenly say, I'll just blame myself entirely. It's more just to say, well, I'm also triggered by this. I'm walking around with the upset in my head. So something's going on for me. It doesn't mean you have to say it's all my fault, but you might say, look, I know we're in a fight. It's really unresolved, but I regret that I just said that in particular, or I'm sorry I swore at you because that was out of line. I think being able to own the bits you can offers leadership. And again, if you can do it, sometimes the person you're upset with can do it as well. I think when you are doing a lot of that, to remember that you might be reaching conclusions or going over things in your own mind that are not fact-checked, they're not tested. Getting the other person to have a right of reply can often show you that you need to pull your head in or you've got the wrong end of the stick or you, you have misheard something. Probably my final thing is don't wait too long to get professional help. Most people feel that seeing you know, a well-trained therapist is the kiss of death. Well, you know, only people who are really in a dreadful place and are resourceless would have to resort to such measures. But over the years, I've had so many people say to me, I just wish we'd done this earlier because, not because it's too late, but because we've suffered unnecessarily. Mm. We've heard three new tips today we could try. And heavens, if we knew that, we, we could have saved ourselves a lot of time. Elizabeth, thank you so much for chatting to us. If we have any listeners that would like to find out more about the work you do or, you know, um, um, seek you out, where would you direct them to? Look, I think if you go to any of the Relationships Australia websites, as I say, there's one of us in every state and territory, but as soon as you just Google that term, um, you'll you'll come up with the vast array of services. And I, you know, I think people will find there's something, something there for, for whatever relationship concern that you have. At the end of the day, just go easy on yourself. Everyone's busy and we probably all feel we really should make more time for those around us. But even making small steps, like any of the tips we've mentioned in this episode, will truly go a long way in ensuring that you have a great network of relationships around you. On the next and final episode of The Driver's Seat, host of the Night Shift on Triple M, Luke Boner joins us. Michael Parkinson was interviewing Jeffrey Archer. And Michael Parkinson said, what's the worst interview you've ever done? (laughs) 
And he said, some idiot in Australia gave away the ending of a book and I put my hands up in the air. I said, thank you. In Jeffrey Archer's uh, man cave, there's a dartboard with your face on it that he's just been chucking real darts. And I want you to realise that you don't need to be a famous person for your story to matter. My uncle was one of the first pioneer coach drivers. My nan, my mum and I travelled in this coach, no one else, and he'd been given the job of taking Queen's band around Australia. And that, I believe, is where my fascination came. Never left me. That's next time on The Driver's Seat.